Media, and you're listening to Fresh Off the Bench. And we are live. We are joined by uh, Matt, Maddie, Ice, Lesnick for the first time with Izzy's absence still looming heavily over us. Rest in peace, Izzy. Um, we're here talking about Colts training camp, NBA free agency. We're going to have Trey Hastings on for what's knowing Trey probably going to be a fiery debate. And I think a couple more things. Oh, yeah, we, we're interviewing uh, Smoke Harris later. So before we get started, I do want to say something. We love the NFL. The NFL plays a big part in our lives for most of the season. But it's bullshit. They're copyright striking everything we put out. We had to take down like half of our podcasts um, over the weekend so that we could even have a Spotify account with our uh, podcast. So if they're copyright striking, that probably means the NFL is listening. So just knock that shit off. You're really pissing off Macus, me, and our two fans. So... We appreciate you for listening. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably one of our two fans if you're copyright striking half of our episodes. So do we want to get right into um, uh, Colts training camp? Colts training camp. Let's words. All right. Well, I mean, training camp around the league has been crazy. And it started, well, it didn't start with the Giants training camp, but the Giants today. Uh, in a skirmish of sorts after Logan Ryan decided to back Evan Ingram, but I don't blame him. I'd back Evan Ingram if I saw him. Uh, but it started a little skirmish that pissed off Joe Judge, and apparently Joe Judge had them you know, doing sprints, and then he didn't do the sprints to his liking, so he had them doing, I believe it was up-downs, that he was just cursing him out the whole time, which is, you know, hilarious as hell. Um, but that's not even the best storyline of training camp. So with the Colts, and what happened is Arson Wentz is injured. That's their starting QB. He's probably going to be out for a little bit. But he isn't the only person who's injured. The exact same injury, if I'm not mistaken, happened to their star guard, Quentin Nelson. Thoughts here? Um, so first off, I do want to talk about the Giants – thing that you just mentioned I was reading that he backed Evan Ingram up and they ended up on top of Daniel Jones and that's what pissed off Joe Judge was that he could have they could have hurt Daniel Jones um it's also the most Joe Judge thing I've ever heard to make them do up downs while he's like cussing them out it's a very Joe Joe Judge moment but on to the Colts it's very odd and it's gonna spell out 
pretty badly for their first. I doubt they'll be out. They'll both be out all 12 weeks, but you know, seven, eight weeks, it's going to be extremely hard for them, especially with the shortened uh, preseason. One last week, one last week before the season that they can um, still recover. So I think it's going to be pretty bad for both of them for the I mean, entire team. I agree. I mean, I've always, obviously, I think Quentin Nelson is the bigger loss. I, I think Carson Wentz, he, we all know he was terrible last season. And I've always been a huge believer in, uh, in Jacob Eason. I think he's going to, I think he's going to go off. I don't think he should have ever fallen in the fourth round. I thought, I thought he was, I thought he was going to be like an early second round pick. I, I, I'm a huge believer in him. I think he's going to do good stuff this year. Let's start the Jacob Eason for uh, number one overall. I agree. Movement. I agree. Let him redraft. Let it be like baseball. Let him re-enter the draft. Say, fuck the Colts. We're going to the Houston Texans first overall next year when they go 0-17. Okay, Scott. Um, so, yeah, Jacob Easton taking over that starting job. Let's say he takes over the first five weeks. Does a great job. And Wentz comes back. Do you play Wentz and possibly lose out on your first-round pick? Or do you leave Wentz on the bench, lose the second round pick that you traded to the Eagles for no value returned at all, and struggle with the fact that you got nothing out of that pick at all? Uh, But you do have Jacob Eason as a potential future QB to lead you to a Super Bowl. I mean, I think – sorry – I mean, look, Carson Wentz, he, he's had the history of injuries. I'm not sure what the conditions on the pick are. I don't remember how many games he had to play. I think that was something with the condition. Yeah, so I think it's 80% of the snaps or they make the playoff. And with him out, and I think with Quentin Nelson out, like I said, I think that's the bigger loss. I don't see either of those happening. Um, like, like I said, I think Jacob Easton's a good quarterback. I think he's a good quarterback. But – it's his first season playing. I don't think he'll be able look, he was behind Phillip rivers last year. So, I mean, that's great mentorship, but I don't think he'll be able to like carry this team to the playoffs. I think that, I think that pick stays in as a second round pick next year. Certainly. So if Jacob Eason starts, he doesn't quite have, if he, well, if he doesn't have good enough, he doesn't quite have the offensive line. He doesn't really have the offensive firepower. There's a, a lot of questions on the offense. They have a ton of not only roster turnover, coach turnover. I think the Colts should really look at this year as a rebuilding year and sort of, you know, see what they have in their young. I don't I think, agree. I don't think they're going to look at it that way. Their defense is, is still stellar defensively, I would say. I think their defense is still going to be a top half of the league defense. And they're – their offense, if their weapons can stay healthy, could end up being a, sh- a surprise offense. The problem with the Colts' offense is it hasn't been able to stay healthy over the last few years. And, of course, they're not going to start the season healthy, but it's how they play that second half of the season after the bye week. Right. I'm going to respectfully disagree with you here. I think they are actually going to see this as a rebuild year. If you look at the first two picks they had in the draft, both of them were edge defenders. Quiddy Pay is a guy who needs at least two years to really refine his. He can be ready for the league. And uh, 
Teo Odabingo, I have, I'm not sure what his name is, but uh, out of Vanderbilt, he's coming off of an injury and he's not playing here. I think looking at those first two picks, they are really looking at this as a year that they're not going anywhere. Um, on the other side of the defense, you know, you look at their defensive backs. We haven't – Xavier Rhodes had a great year last year, despite a down year the year beforehand. Will he be able to get up? Uh, and then on the other side, they have the guy from Temple. I'm going to blank on his name. Yeah, I have no Cornerback, clue. too. Um, that's going to bug me. Um, but he he has not lived up to his second-round draft stop yet. Uh, you know, inside, they're great. Rocky Asin, that's it. Um, he's a, he was a very talented player coming from college, but – he hasn't really shown that as much in the league yet. Uh, but inside, they've got Forrest Buckner, and they've got a great linebacker core. So there's some stuff there, but defensive line and linebacker are kind of seen as less valuable defensive positions than edge. And I think they kind of just got to keep all doors open for even like a, a new quarterback. I mean, Carson Wentz, if he comes Speaking. back, uh, if he comes back and he's awful like one they're gonna be in the contention for the number one pick because your offense is, I, I understand the defense is it's amazing it's a top five defense but the offense i you just you need to score points that's part of football um i just don't think like you gotta if again if jacob eason i like him but if he's not good you got to keep doors open say you're a, you say you've got a top two pick you can't pass on either Spencer Rattler or Sam Howell if you need a quarterback. Speaking of that, some news just broke. Um, Philip Rivers is has just said that he isn't closing the door on coming back, teasing a potential comeback. Could it be that with Carson Wentz out possibly 12 weeks, Jim Ursay got on his phone, said, look, this didn't work when I tried it with Andrew Luck. It's Probably not going to work here, but will you come back? And Philip Rivers didn't say no. Could that be a possibility that we see Philip Rivers week one in a Colts uniform? All right. This is a very bold take. The only thing that we've seen from quarterbacks coming out of retirement is going to play tight end this. I think Philip Rivers comes back this and year, plays tight end for but... the Chargers. <laughs> tight end for the Chargers. Birds. Philip Rivers. Two. This, yeah. two. this year. Two. But remember, Brett Favre came out of retirement. Wiggled his way out of retirement. What? Hey. Okay, but like Brett Favre retired in the first place because people were like, dude, you're too old. Like Philip Rivers went on his own terms at least. Yeah. Josh McCown retired. I don't know. I think I think I think he'll be the Texans head coach next year. I think Philip <laughs> Rivers kind of got bullied into retirement as well because after that slow start to last season, everybody just kind of railed Philip Rivers. Yeah. Well, I mean, Philip Rivers is coaching high school football now, I believe. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, in in the story it says that he's focused on coaching, but he hasn't closed the door on a comeback. Could it be possible that he's going broke with all twenty two of his kids? Like he just needs the money and the high school coaching isn't paying the bills with twenty two children. He's made Millions upon millions of dollars in his career. I don't think he's gone broke, especially like, with endorsement deals. But he too. has like twenty-two kids. Okay, Philip Rivers, 
out of all the star quarterbacks that we've seen in our generation, probably earned the least amount of money in endorsement deals. <laughs> He's like one of the least marketable players, like big stars that have been in our generation. I'm, now, now I'm thinking about that. I don't, like, like I who don't. could you name? Like, when you look he at, like got endorsements, but he's got like no personality. But he's also from New York, so that's gonna that's help. true. I mean, with San Diego. I mean, I I don't market, live in like, California, like so I don't know what kind of deals are yeah. going on. But even like um, Drew Brees is like his personality is white bread, and I've still seen him on commercials. Yeah, I've seen Eli and Peyton on commercials. I've seen Brett Favre in commercials. Aaron Rodgers. I've never seen Philip Rivers in a commercial. And Phil, but that's the thing. Even, even his last, has the Chiefs a played him. The Chiefs played him twice a year, and there were some games I completely forgot Philip Rivers is starting for, for the Chargers. <laughs> but, and and I watched every Chiefs game for like the past I don't even know how many years. But you have to keep in mind, Philip Rivers is quite possibly the greatest of all time when it comes to being mic'd up in game. Only he uh, has the guy, a marketable. The guy coming in second, and I hate I hate to open up this door again. Kirk Cousins, um, you like that? You like that? That's legendary. Top seven quarterback. A- Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck is kind of like that. Andrew Luck, after being sacked, hey, that was a nice hit, buddy. That was a nice, that was a nice hit, hit guy. Andrew Luck is a legend. I wish he'd come back. That that's I'd love like, to see. I'd love to see them go to him. I don't think they, I don't think, I think he's done, but I would love to see the Colts go to him. Yeah. I mean, like that, that's kind of the thing for like NFL moments, like the moment where like you remember where you are when you heard the news. Like Mm -hmm. I I was at a rock concert in Bonner Springs, Kansas. I was with my ex-girlfriend, my parents uh, and my cousin. And I just looked at my phone. I was like, "Holy shit!" Like, I I was in an ice cream shop in Chicago. I I and I, I just <laughs> told my dad, I was like, "This this this just happened." We're both like, "Damn!" In the middle of the preseason, too. Like, yeah, like only a couple weeks before the season starts, he retires. His own fans boo him. I mean, that was they, they need to, they need to sign Pat McAfee. He's already an indie. Allow him to do his show during the weekdays. You know, I mean, he's. Pat McAfee is built. You know he doesn't need practice. Allow him to do his show during the weekdays. It's not like he does anything during on Sundays except for like with the WWE. But listen, Jim Irsay and him are friends. Jim Irsay's been on his show multiple times. I can see it. And we're signing. We're signing him as a quarterback. He's been hanging out with Aaron Rodgers a lot this offseason. and during all of last season, he talked to him every single week. Hey, Pat McAfee, QB1. He even has the number one on his jersey. That would certainly be a sight to see uh, as Pat McAfee is probably. He He might. He would probably be better than either of the healthy quarterbacks on their roster this year. Signing Pat McAfee might be a less mobile option than Phillip Rivers, and that's saying a lot. I don't know. Pat McAfee's got some wheels. I think signing Pat McAfee gives you an upgrade over Eason, punctured long Tyrod. We don't know how he's going to Tyrod is on the Houston Texans. Yeah. Texans. Who am I thinking of? They got Sam Ellinger. 
I don't know who I'm thinking of then as their backup. Um, you're thinking of probably Brissett, but Brissett is on He's the in Miami. Now. Yeah, it probably was Brissett. I was in boot camp when he was playing when he was their starter, so I never actually got to see Brissett in a Colts uniform. By the time I got out, he didn't miss much. Yeah, no. By the time I got out, he was already benched. So, (laughs) so I think that's going to take us into our first break. I believe Matt's still going to be here on the other side. Yep. And we're going to bring in uh, Trey Hastings, Phenom, NFL, NBA, MLB uh, content producer. And bandwagon and, <laughs> and uh LeBron Stan, you'll understand why when when we get to talking Lakers later. Here joining us is Trey Hastings, and then we've still got Matt Lesnick, and of course my beautiful co-host Macus Dinsmore. Trey, how are you doing? I'm good, guys. How are all of you guys doing? Pretty good. So I think we're going to jump straight into NBA free agency. Max, you want to take the, the start on this one? Oh, yeah. Um, so there's been some pretty interesting moves, uh, starting off with, you know, um, Andre Drummond getting a deal at all. Let's save all the Lakers talk for <laughs> just a little bit later. Well, no, he got signed by the Philadelphia 76ers, which yeah. might be the dumbest move. Uh, oh, wait, no, it can't be the dumbest move the organization's ever done. They're still asking teams for four first-rounders and three young bright players for Ben Simmons. Oh, and there was whole, that whole process thing, too. But. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, I mean, that worked. <laughs> All right. No, no, no. The process worked just fine. The issue was firing Sam Hinkie before he could take Jason Tatum. That was what broke Okay. Essentially, yes. How is, this, how is Drummond going to work beside Joel Embiid at all? He's, well, he's going to take on the Dwight Howard role, yeah. which was essentially to be a post-presence when Embiid up the court. So that should be a lot. But the problem is when Embiid's off the court, you want to put the ball into the person they're tr- apparently now trying to keep and Simmons' hands, but he can't shoot. So now you've got two players who can't shoot and Andre Drummond who can. Honestly, what I think they should have done, and maybe this is too outside of the box, was tried instead of Devontae Graham going to New Orleans, try to make a move for Devontae Graham. It's another young guy that has some decent upside, can shoot, can space the floor, because he's really been working with the ball out of his hands. Um, when, when he was playing was alongside, when yeah, that was yeah. a great sign. But when when he's playing with uh, Lamelo and Rozier next to them in their three guard lineup, he was playing with a lot of his hands at KU. He played really three years of shooting guard with the ball, not running through him, running through Frank Mason and a couple other really great point guards we had early in both of their careers. So he has the experience to work off ball if they wanted somebody else to bring the ball up. He can shoot. He can still run point. And I think he would have been a great fit with Philly, but he is a great pickup for New Orleans after they get rid of Lonzo. He's cheaper. (laughs) Yes, we can go two minutes without mentioning KU, (laughs) Maccas. It's literally pertinent because he's been in the news. And it was a good segue into another signing, Maccas. 
Oh, Malik Monk. That was a good signing. That was a good signing. It was uh, yeah. a surprising signing as well, which I'll, I'll just leave it there because we'll get to the Lakers later. But um, since we're talking about Hornets players, that, that was a really good signing. I, I think I think Devontae Graham really never got a fair shot in Charlotte. Yeah, oh, I feel sure. like he just got passed over. Like this year, I was expect I, I, I wasn't expecting much from him because I, I obviously the Mel Ball was ahead of him, but he just got passed over by Terry Rozier. Um, he was coming he, off his breakout year too. Exactly. Like he's he's get he ended up paying him twenty million dollars a year. I expect them to, you know, put him as a priority over Graham, who they were paying two million. Yeah. Um, but I think this will be his time to shine. Obviously uh good young team where he can still develop so i, I think it's a, it's a great fit for him in new orleans exactly and a team where the ball is going to be in his hand every single exactly. play that he's on the court which is something that we didn't get to see this year and i think that's going to really develop one of i know trey's biggest knocks on him and mine too is his inefficiency but yeah. i think the more he touches the ball the more experience he gains from from being that first that first guy to touch the ball and to uh, kind of better his decision-making and we're going to take smarter shots. I think it's going to be, uh, it's going to work wonders for him. And we already know he's a, he's a clutch shooter and New Orleans is going to be in very tight games, I assume, because they're not top bottom talented. Uh, Certainly. Um, Another team that made some interesting guard moves was the Knicks. They went and signed Evan Fournier and re-signed, Derek Rose, what are our thoughts there? I got a few thoughts on that. I don't understand it. I think you you just didn't need Evan Fournier. I feel like there's just no need for him on that team, especially paying him at eighty million dollars. I yeah. think they they they're filled with wings already. They got uh, Alec Burks, who's basically the, in my opinion, he's almost identical to Evan Fournier. Um, you signed him for ten million dollars less a year, for also one less year. Um, you, you quickly is basically a two Grimes. I, I, again, I, I don't know much about Quentin Grimes game, but I've heard he's kind of like a two. I feel like they're just too filled with wings and that that was just an unneeded move. And you're also, look, he, he wasn't good to begin with, but Kevin Knox's growth is being stunted even more by the day. So that that's just my thoughts on it. Quentin Grimes, in I, my opinion, is going to be a bust. Now, yet, am I just talking about this to piss off Maccus? Yes. But he couldn't work <laughs> under Bill Self at Kansas. He was a it, – it's, it's insanely strange for Bill Self, the guy who brought Frank Mason in as a two-star recruit from a military academy prep school and turned him into winning every single award possible at his position, including Naismith Player of the Year, Devontae Graham, another three-star from a prep school turned him into a formidable NBA player. In, in, in uh, Grimes' recruiting class to KU, he had Devon Dotson, who didn't look great his first year, was amazing his second year before it was cut short. Quentin Grimes was a five-star, the highest recruit of KU in that recruiting class and the highest we'd gotten in a while because he was at like a – on 247, he's at like a 0.9999 recruit. And Bill Self asked him not to come back. He asked him to transfer. That's weird. That that shows problems that are further than on the court. Because Bill can, can fix 
He's one of the greatest coaches of all time. He can fix almost anything on the court. I mean, quite possibly. That's a very fair point. Um, but I don't think they really <laughs> he did selected... it. He did it. The fair point, but <laughs> I don't think, I think they're. I think players mature over time, though. So I think first and foremost, you need to give Quentin Grimes an opportunity in That's the NBA, true. but. Also, he's not really going to get much of an opportunity with the Knicks because, like Matt said, they have so many wings on their team. I'm not necessarily against the Fournier signing because, to be honest with you, they lost Bullock. So maybe their thought process was replacing Bullock with Fournier, and I find that to be an upgrade. So just not at the cost necessarily, and that's why the Celtics let him go because Fournier wanted that money and Boston didn't want to pay him that money. So I just don't understand why you drafted Quentin Grimes in the first round where you did, and then you proceeded to sign Evan Fournier. That's where I don't get the move. But Grimes also can't shoot. So that's that's a that's a big Grimes problem. is Grimes is like for Matt, since you don't understand his game, I, I watched him a little bit. He's not and Sky, you've seen him more than me, but he's not he improved his shooting this year, but he's not a great shooter still. Um He's more of a slashing guard. He's bigger, kind of lengthy, but and he's not super athletic, but he's got some athletic ability to him. So, I mean, he's got some tools, but I would call him more raw than anything else. Yeah. So it may, it may not be a bad thing for him to, like, sit behind a couple guys, but I just – I don't know if picking him where they did was a good decision because they probably could have got him in the second round with one of their picks. I mean, he's going to need a couple years to work on his shooting and to put on some weight, because if he's going to play that like stretch to like move into the three, which I think he could for just his height, he's going to need to put on weight. He's way too skinny right now to be. Yeah. He's going to get bodied by almost any small forward not named Kevin Durant. Yeah, I think that with the way that they went about this draft, they – so Quentin Grimes feels like he was a draft and stash player, but not like an overseas draft and stash player, more of a G League draft and stash player. He could become big time, but he needs that development. What I like about the Evan Fournier signing is, if I'm not mistaken, Fournier has been shooting pretty much 50, 40, 88 in the past two years. And, you know, that's not consistent shooting that the Knicks had previously. I mean, that's something – that's a big addition. You might not be able to play defense, but having a consistent shooter is definitely something that makes That is a big – that yeah, was a big thing that was exposed thing, in the playoffs with Trey. They couldn't match the shooting that the Knicks were putting out – or that the Hawks yeah, were putting the other out. Thing, yeah, the other thing with Fournier not playing defense is having Tom Thibodeau as a coach, that's he's going gonna, gonna to help that, I do believe. But, like – Fournier's shooting alone is going to help the Knicks, and I think that's partially why they did pay him the way that they did. And I think the Celtics were willing to let him go because he's more – they're able to let him go more than, like, paying him all that money because Fournier wanted to go there for that same contract and re-sign there, but the Celtics just weren't budging, so they let him go. So I can't really blame the Celtics for not wanting to pay him that because they have other guys they're gonna have to pay in a couple of years. So yeah. I still feel I still just think seventy eight million dollars is just an overpay for Evan Fournier. I mean, the Knicks have just make, been making questionable moves the whole offseason. I, I hated their draft. I mean, Miles. McBride oh, I, I hated their round. draft too. Miles McBride in the second round was a great pick. 
but the rest of it just I don't understand like trading both picks like I was there Kai Soto they announced he's drafted by the Knicks and he's so happy to be there like you can tell he wants to be in New York and he just he's saying like oh I love it here I want to be here and he obviously wasn't told he was traded yet so it's like everyone else in the stadium knows it except him on the subject of the Knicks I know Matt is one of the few Knicks fans that doesn't believe the Knicks are going to get every single player, every single free uh, free agency. But can we talk about Stephen A. Smith coming out and saying on national TV that the Knicks that the Knicks are the most likely team to land Damian Lillard? What would they, the Knicks even have to trade that the Blazers would even begin to accept Damian Lillard, who has said despite rumors that he wants to stay what like if he wants to stay they're going to ask for a hefty moving price because it's not like he's forcing their hand out well i think it would be at least the james harden package but i think the first and foremost thing to what steven a was saying was that dame damian loader want to be in a big market with by surrounded by a winning culture that has been built and then obviously a big market, like I said. So that would be New York. And he probably want to want to get out of the Western Conference. Championship so, culture uh, that was built. A team that was built from the ground up. A, a big market, Golden State. Why would he go to Golden State? Why would he go to Golden State, though? Hey. Steph at the one, Dame at the two. Oh my god! But the wait, wait, wait. Dame off the bench is a sixth man. No, no, sixth no. I said, I said the, the number two. two. Dame at the two. Yeah, put Dame at the two. You because then you have two ball handlers. They can just split coming up the court. Either one of them can play off the ball. You put Clay at the three, Dre at the four, Wiseman at the five. Bring Wiggins off the bench to well, run no, Wiseman the second team. To, Wiseman's headed to Portland if. if if there's a trade, yeah, if true. there's a trade, if there's Wiseman, a trade, Wiggins, Wiggins, Wiseman, you know. Kuminga, Moody, all those guys are gone. So Golden <laughs> State's depth that they've just accumulated and replaced in the oh, want Toscano too. is gone. Yeah, they would but want to. They, they do also just... have a surplus of picks right now because I believe they own the Timberwolves pick again, right? No, they don't. I don't they think don't. so. They don't. They it was it, conve- it conveyed okay. next year. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah it's true. Okay, I. They only owned it for the one. The one place year, so the one place I don't see anyone talking about for a potential spot for Lillard. I said this the other night on a call. Trey heard it. Denver. I think that that's a place who should be. I agree with that. I think you package Jamal Murray. Uh, you try and build a package around Jamal Murray, and I think that's. But it's going to be Murray, MPJ, and multiple yeah. picks. That's a lot. My them. thing is for both of those teams is it keeps both of them contending. It obviously elevates Denver. Now with Portland, if I'm Denver, I try to not trade Michael Porter Jr., yeah. but I would rather try and trade someone like Will Barton, throw in whatever picks you need to, maybe throw in Bones Highland or somebody like that. Mm-hmm. But also from Portland's aspect, Jamal Murray is younger than Damian Lillard. He obviously – can't do everything Damon Lillard can, but he has that potential still. And you still have a nice one-two combo at Lillard and at Murray and McCollum. So it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. I still think if you trade Lillard, you should trade McCollum and just rebuild. And that means trading Nurkic as well. But 
because I, I don't want I don't want Portland to move Lillard and then do the same thing that the Wizards have done with Bradley Beal for the last four years. It's just it leaves your franchise in basketball mediocrity, which is competing for the back end of the playoffs to lose in the first round every year and get swept. So like I don't I don't see the point in Portland doing that, especially in the Western Conference. It's either rebuild or try to retool the team to compete for a championship. It's got to be one or the other, nothing in between. Yeah. I hate to disagree with you guys here, but on all three fronts, I really hate this trade. I hate this trade for Portland based on the fact that we have Jamal Murray going here, who is mostly a scorer over a playmaker going next to CJ McCollum, who is also more so a scorer than a playmaker. And you don't really have any playmaking aspect on that team. And then if we go over to the Nuggets, we have this issue where Dame's going to want the ball running through him and Jokic is going to want the ball. I'm fine. He's going. Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic. Yeah, he's going to want the ball moving through him as well. Uh, and I don't think that you can – if you're trading for Damian Lillard, you have to put the ball through his hands. And I don't think that – Nikola Jokic is going to be as good as an off-ball kind of guy. Then, from the Dame Lillard standpoint, if Nikola's not as good without the ball in his hands, they're going to want to put the ball in Nikola's hands, and then Dame's not going to be happy. Did you say the Portland Trailblazers wouldn't have playmaking when they still have Kelgeen Blevins? Come on. Who is that? <laughs> I have no clue. I literally looked up. I had this idea in my head for a joke, and I looked up Blazers roster and found the most foreign-sounding point guard. Like, um, wow. Here, here's the thing. I think moving on from CJ McCollum makes sense because they've got Anthony Simmons coming off the bench, and I think he has the potential to be a great combo guard. Yeah, Simons is a really good uh, – he has a lot of potential. He reminds me a lot of – Horton Tucker from a potential aspect. Now, my thing is, what are you trying to trade McCollum for? Because are you trying to get another guard that does a lot of the same things? Are you trying to get a forward? Are you trying to get a big? Because you can either you can either package McCollum with Nurkic and try to get a better center, or you can just trade McCollum how he right. is. But trading trading okay, McCollum is three years too late. Like. His trade yes. value was astronomical three years ago. They could have gotten like multiple first-round picks and a decent player. This was my point with Portland. They waited way too long to try to trade their players, and now it's yeah. specifically McCollum, and it's too late at this point. Last offseason would have been a perfect opportunity to blow yes. it up. I last have season right. was the opportunity. Potential trade. John Collins is unhappy with the Hawks. Sign and trade. Or CJ McCollum. Horribly, horrible defensively for the Hawks. But you add a pure shooter next to Trey Young, who's an incredible passer. Was they there much good like defensively for years. the Hawks this year? Like the Hawks already have three pure shooters next to Trey Young. You have Gallinari, Bogdanovich, and Kevin Herter. So it, it that doesn't make too much sense to me. I mean, you would relegate Herter to the bench full time. You would – the other thing that you're not – I guess you could not be factoring in is DeAndre Hunter. Yeah, him too. And he, when he is healthy, DeAndre Hunter is a starter. So you have to factor in he's, he would be 
moving to the bench because you want to start Bogdanovich with McCollum as well. So that would obviously give the Hawks a ton of depth, but they already have a ton of depth after their draft. So they, I don't know how much they would really want McCollum. And I don't know if Portland has the financial capabilities to take on a John Collins max contract, because to be honest with you, that's all he wants right now. And that's the only reason he's not signed with a team right now. Right. Because how much is McCollum? Just out of curiosity. Uh, okay. I'm not 20. A, a decent amount. Probably around gonna, 30 million. It's between roster, it's between 25 and 30 million. I know if that they're going to blow up that roster. They're going to be doing it to save money and to get picks. So even if they do a sign and trade for John Collins and John Collins gets that that contract that he wanted, it means nothing for them because he, they're signing him to a what four year, 180 million dollar contract. Yeah. And there goes um, there goes the money. Atlanta offered Atlanta offered Collins five years, one twenty five million at like three o'clock today, mm. and he still has not accepted. He's holding out for the max that no team has yet to give him. I, I don't. It's not worth it. After his rookie yeah, year, he's like he's pretty much hit a like he's he his numbers have flatlined at his at his rookie production like that that's just what it is the money he had that sorry go ahead he had that sorry that's my bad he had that um he had that suspension at the start of last season for like the PED use whatever for 20 games and before that suspension he was averaging like 20 and 10 and that's his reasoning for wanting a max. He's like, most 20 and 10 guys get a max. So like, I want that max because I know I can play to that level. My only thing is he needs to do it consistently. I know what John Collins can do. He's a 50, 40, 80 guy efficiently. That is in terms of NBA players that are of his size to average 20 points, 10 rebounds, shoot 50% from the field, 40% from three and 80% from the free throw line. He's the he was the first player in NBA history, I think, to do that uh, two seasons ago. He, but he that was two seasons ago. I don't think he's mm-hmm. done it since. I don't think he's shooting as well. That's the problem. I mean, and he's I, not putting up. He's not putting up twenty and ten either. That's the other thing. Certainly, but so let me get this straight. He thinks that he's worth a max contract because of how he performed on performance enhancing drugs. <laughs> I don't know if that's allegedly. I don't know if that's that like was sued by the NBA if, too. Okay, I don't you know if that the was NFL his, on her ass. I don't know if that was. I don't know if he put up those numbers when he was performing on the PEDs, or if it was like completely the season before. If you know what I mean, like I gotta remember the timeline from when he got suspended and when he put up those numbers because it might have been the season before that same season when he put up those numbers. But to answer your question somewhat, yes, because I think that is how the timeline lines up. But part of the reason teams probably don't want to pay him is because quite simply defensively, he's kind of a liability at the four position, but if you play him at center, he's really good defensively. I think, or no, he's really good defensively at the four but at the five, he's worse defensively, but he's better offensively. So you have to pick and choose what you want from John Collins. Is it his his defense at center or his offensive production at power? Like it's, you're, you're pretty much choosing. I've always been, I've always thought 
like he's going to sign with with Dallas. I don't think that's going to happen anymore. I, they were clearing, they cleared cap space, but it was to sign Reggie Bullock and re-sign Tim Hardaway Jr. Um, not to mention the fact that it would have to be a sign and trade. Um, yeah, Atlanta's matching whatever offer he gets, and most likely, yeah. And I just don't feel like. Dallas is gonna. I I don't think they're gonna pursue him. They haven't. There's been no rumors about it. There's um. There's been nothing about him. There's think, one team out. There's one team out there. I think could be a really dark horse player for John Collins. And I don't know their salary cap situation, so I don't know if they can afford him. But they're a team that reportedly in the past has really loved John Collins and Minnesota, really right? wants him. And it's Minnesota. Yes. yes. And they've done nothing this entire off season. So. They have a hole at power forward. That is the one hole in their starting lineup. That Shanghai, nice. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's the one hole in their lineup, though, if you think about it, that they need to fill. Because D'Angelo Russell, you have Anthony Edwards, Malik Beasley, and then John Collins. Now, none of those guys defensively, and Carl Anthony Towns, but none of those guys defensively. I mean, the Timberwolves, in my opinion, are so far down defensively, they might as well put all the resources into their offense because they're never going to be able to rebuild their defense up. Do you think, it, it's not going to happen. Okay. Do you think I like one second. Do you think a sign and trade for John Collins could be easier than some of the other young guys that we're seeing now because Atlanta doesn't value him nearly as much for the, to give him like the max contract. We're seeing all these restricted free agents get their maxes except for John Collins. Do you see that as a potential, it'd be easier to get him on a sign trade. They wouldn't have to give up cat or, or uh, Russell. It's, it's not even partially. I mean, it's partially that, but also the fact that like Atlanta already has so much depth. I mean, they drafted Shreve Cooper. They drafted Jalen Johnson. Yeah. They have Onyeka Okungwu from last year's draft. They re-signed Solomon Hill. They, they have so much depth. They honestly could replace John Collins production within the guys they already have on their team. I, I truly believe that. So I with the guys that they drafted, and they're trying to trade Cam Reddish, the Timberwolves are trying to get rid of Jarrett Culver. All they would have to do is sign and trade Jarrett Culver and a pick over for John Collins. I, I truly believe that. I don't think it would be hard for Minnesota to get him on their team. The only problem is financially how you're going to do that because I don't know if they have the salary cap to do it or if he wants to play in Minnesota because it's not a real – uh, aspiring market to be in, but that would be Wiggins my dark horse. Immediately get better. I actually like yeah. this Minnesota idea here because it could allow you to shift John Collins from the four to the five during four to five on offense and defense, as Trey said beforehand, allowing Cat to play the four offensively and the five defensively. Yes. I've always thought about this as well because Cat is as efficient offensively as John Collins is, and Cat likes to play out on the perimeter and shoot anyway. So why not allow John Collins to rim run to the rim run off pick and roll with D'Angelo Russell, who's a really good passer out of the pick and roll anyway? Like I've always, I, I don't, and with a slasher like Anthony Edwards and a sharp shooter like Malik Beasley, I think it all makes sense that way. The problem have, is they're going to be the worst defensive team in the league. Exactly, they have to win games one forty to one fifty. They're only going to beat the Wizards like that night in and night out. 
And honestly, the Wizards got a little bit better defensively because Contavious Caldwell-Pope is a nice defensive wing, and Kuzma, as much as we hate on him, has some potential defensively yeah. as a defensive player. Yeah. I would so, see that Minnesota team as kind of a Nets light. Like that That's the big question surrounding the Nets is, are they able to play consistent defense throughout? And health. Yeah. It's health because Cat yeah. was hurt all last year. Right. Russell was hurt all last year. If, if that Minnesota team was healthy all year, that's easily at least a play-in team, solely off of their offense. Certainly. That's true. Speaking of the Wizards, though, they made the big signing of Spencer Dinwiddie to pair with Bradley Beal. What are our thoughts there? Like so at, I actually at first did not like this Wizards team. I was like, this roster sucks, blah, blah, blah. And then I thought about it today, and I was like, I like the way that they've retooled this roster, moving Westbrook and bringing in Dinwiddie, because you look at Dinwiddie's production prior to bringing in Duran, Kyrie, and whatever. Dinwiddie was averaging per 36 not too long ago, about 21 and six. Okay, so they're not terrible numbers. He's not the most efficient player, but you're pairing that with Bradley Beal. You can play Contavious Caldwell Pope or Denny Advia at your three. And then you have Kuzma, you have Montrez Harold. You're going to get Thomas Bryant back this year because he was injured. You have Bertans off the bench. You have Kispert. They have increased shooting. So they have a little bit more spacing now than they had last season. They have a little bit more defense than they had last season. And they still have some scoring punch with Dinwiddie. I think they're a little bit deeper. To me, so, it, it, it's just. The, the, they want to keep Bradley Beal and the, just signing That's Spencer the Dinwiddie just does not do that for me. I I love Spencer Dinwiddie. He's one. Of, I I really like him. He's a very good player. Well. And but there's two things. He tore his ACL last year and played three games before that. Um, he's if he hasn't played a full season since. Really, 1819. I mean, 1920, you can say, but 1819 was the last full season you played. Mm-hmm. We don't know how that knee injury is going to affect him. And I, again, like I said, I love Spencer Dinwiddie, but it's, it's a downgrade from Westbrook. Come on. I don't it think so. Downgrade. I don't think so. And here's why. Obviously, Russell Westbrook is the better player between the two, but playing next to Bradley Beal, I think Dinwiddie will be a better fit. When you look at the team, I I loved the team with Russell, uh, sorry, D'Angelo Russell, not Russell Westbrook, um, Dinwiddie, Levert, like those guys. I, think I, everyone love, that, that I love that Brooklyn team too. Yeah, they, I they, they, hated that they were surprisingly extremely good. And Dinwiddie, that was arguably like Dinwiddie's peak. And he's getting, instead of being kind of a bench guy behind KD and Kyrie and Harden. He's getting a spot, a chance to be next to guys that play similarly, similarly as some of the, the teammates that he was extremely successful with. And when you look at it from a wizard standpoint, Beal wants the ball in his hands. Beal wants to be able to shoot. Having a guy like Russell Westbrook, or having a guy like Russell Westbrook took opportunities away from that, even though Beal was was obviously scoring a lot. This allows them to have the ball in Beal's hands more, maybe making Beal a little happier. 
and Spencer Dinwiddie, I think, would mesh better on the court with the entire team than Russell Westbrook. The other thing to add on to that is it's going to allow Dinwiddie to ease into game shape a little bit better. If you just allow Beal to do his thing, and I think it's also going to help Kuzma a little bit better more in his development Mm -hmm. because he's going to have a bigger role in the offense like he did pre-LeBron Lakers. Okay, mm. when he was averaging 18, 19 points a game. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Are you suggesting like, I, I, taking... I don't I don't think Kuzma's gonna do that. I'm just saying I think Kuzma is gonna have a bigger role in the offense, and I don't think it it might hinder his I don't think it's gonna hinder his development any more than his development has already been hindered from being moved into the starting lineup, out of the starting lineup, into the starting lineup, out of the starting lineup in the, with the Lakers because of injuries and things and LeBron and AD. So Kuzma is an interesting – Kuzma is the interesting piece here for the Wizards because if he can play like he did his rookie year, that's a third 20-point-per-game score on your team. Yeah. And that's that's going to put you in the play-in. Do you They're really not, think that's their that, ceiling. Do you really think that Kuzma is – going to beat out Rui Hachimura for minutes there. Yes. That's also the other guy that you have is Rui Hachimura. Like, they have a lot of depth. It's a deep point. team. It's that's, definitely that's a deep team. They have way more depth now than they had last season. But like, they the can thing. afford an injury or two now. And with... with Not to Beal. With the Din... Yeah, not to Beal. Yeah, with, not, not to Beal. With the Dinwiddie... He's pretty healthy, though. He's pretty yeah. healthy. With the Dinwiddie Westbrook um, fits, when you're looking at I just completely lost my train of thought. Never mind. Uh, Matt, were you going to say something? <laughs> I, like, I, lost, I was like thinking, uh, and it just it just drained out. I, again, I it's a deep team, yeah, but it's not star driven. It's one star. It. I I I think I like I, I still I just don't think it's enough to keep Bradley Beal. I think he's a a future warrior. Um, to the hey, pleasure of Scott. Bring him, bring him on. Um, uh, why did you have to say that? Uh, but I think he's a future yeah. warrior. But we can actually talk about that a little bit later. I do want to bring up the uh, – like I, I want to continue to talk about the play styles of – like the, they, they completely opposite – they're completely opposite of each other between Westbrook and Dinwiddie. Like when you look at Dinwiddie, he's shown he can play second, third fiddle to other players – I mean, hell, his last couple seasons, it was really fourth fiddle to the guys on the the Nets brought in. And I feel like Russell Westbrook's play style only really works to its truest potential when he is the only good player on that team. When he is the one player that gets the ball in his hands every single time, and he's the one player that they want to take the drive, because he's not really a shooter, to take the drive in. And I know he rebounds and assists or whatever stat stuff. We're going to talk about that later. <laughs> I do. I am going to bring that up later. But Dinwiddie has shown he he can be that guy that takes a seat and and really helps his team rather than uh, helps himself. And Westbrook is known for helping himself to a fault, like he did in Houston, like he did at points in OKC, like he did. A, a few games with Washington, Beal really saved his ass a, a few times. I agree. And now an ad from this week's sponsor, Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. 
There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. We are back, still joined by Matt Lesnick and Trey Hastings. Now let's get into Lakers talk. Trey, you want to start it off? The Lakers started off this offseason by trading for Russell Westbrook and sending out Kyle Kuzma, Montrezl Harrell, and Contavious Caldwell-Pope. And then this free agency, they have signed a plethora of veterans, beginning with the Trevor Reza, Wayne Ellington, Ken Bazemore signings. And then mm-hmm. today, they've signed Kendrick Nunn to a two-year $10 million deal. I believe that's a bargain for a player like him. Um, Carmelo Anthony, they also brought, they were trying to find ways to bring in Buddy Heald, but they... I believe stop trying to do that because they re-signed Tanhorn Tucker today, three years, $32 million, but um, they let Alex Crusoe go to Chicago. So complete retooling of their team. But to be honest with you, I, I like the way their team setup is because they have five players from last year or at some point in their career that have shot 40% from three at, at one point. So they have enough shooting to, combat Russell Westbrook LeBron and Anthony Davis who by the way two of those guys shoot decently well from three that I think there's enough spacing for Westbrook and Westbrook has came out and said he's gonna try and be a better shooter so we'll see how this team makeup is but I think there's enough depth and shooting on this team to make them a finals contender and to be honest I think the part of the team that got worse the worst was their defense I truly believe yeah. that. So they're pretty much sacrificing defense for star power. That's the not way I look at it. Malik Monk like that. Uh, and Malik Monk. So I forgot. So underrated signing. Most uh, most underrated signing right there was Malik Monk. So he's going to be the starting shooting guard of this team and the best player on the team. <laughs> yeah. So as yeah. I as I often do when I start off with with teams or players I don't like. I'm going to start off with uh, an ad hominem. Okay. This team looks like a team you would pull up to like an LA YMCA NC running the floor, right? Melo, 37. Braun, 36. Marcus Gasol, 36. Trevor Reza, 36. Dwight Howard, 35. Wayne Ellington, 33. Kent Bazemore, 32. Russ, 32. Outside of like AD, who's nearly 30, Kendrick Nunn, also nearly 30 and only in Horn his Tucker. I'm getting there. Outside yeah. of outside of those two who are nearing 30, you've got Monk and THT at 23 and 20. Those are the only two youngest. You're looking at a team that, what, two, three years ago was predicated on <laughs> Mac has just said they're putting together a wheelchair basketball league. <laughs> but this is a team that was built completely around youth, right? You had Kyle Kuzma. He was a rookie. You had Lonzo Ball. You had Brandon Ingram. You had all those guys. Julius Randle. Yeah, that Julius Randle that were all young who just broke out with the Knicks. So you're looking at a team that went from 
young and rebuilding with a bright future if they just waited, especially with a locker room guy that has been around for as long as LeBron has. I may not like LeBron's attitude on the floor, on the court, but in the locker room, multiple teammates have came out and said that he he is a good locker room presence. He drives his his teammates, especially the younger ones. He's hard on the younger ones so that they get better. If you if you would have just taken a chance, their production, that team's production could have been better than the production that AD has given them to this point with all the injuries and the, the recovery times after the injuries. It's slowed down AD's value of to this team, and it will continue to do that. AD still hasn't shown that he can stay healthy for an entire season over the last few years. He has been constantly beat up. He was beat up in New Orleans. Uh, so was DeMarcus Cousins down there. That really didn't work out together. So you're looking at a team that's old, has major injury problems, and the depth goes back to them being old because you're looking at bench guys like Melo, Ariza, Howard, Ellington, Bazemore, really all of their bench guys out, outside of THT are well over 30. And Russell, and that, that brings me to my next point, Russell Westbrook, also 32. By the time he actually gets settled, I'm, I'm of the belief that he won't be actually settled into his new role of being a facilitator, mainly a facilitator, till after this year. I think it's going to be his second season when we start to see his playmaking production go on the rise outside of his stat stuff assists, you're going to look, you're going to see him this year and he's going to be fine. But what happens after this year when his play style is predicated on one, being the only good player on the team and two, being young, playing hard and fast like that as you get older is going to lead to injuries, which is going to lead to him not even being on the court. I think it's going to be a tough look for them. Maybe not this year. I don't think I don't think they are far and away the best team in the West. I think they're the best team in the West, but they are not. There's not a huge gap between teams like still Phoenix is right behind them. Golden State is supposedly healthy this year. But when you look at going forward, they turn a team that could possibly be a winning team for 10 years into a team that's going to be winning team for like a year or two. My okay, my counter to you, first of all, with Russell Westbrook and being the only good player on the team is what team was Russell Westbrook the only good player on besides the year that he won MVP? There was not another year where his, that you was. Mean, you mean his best year when he was the only good player on that team, on that Thunder team? When he was, I'm saying, when, when he I'm was saying traded, that's the only year, though. Okay, when he was traded to the uh, – to the Rockets, of course he wasn't the best player on the team. You still had um, James Harden he's, there. He's you been still around had, James Harden. You still he's had John Wall. George. But he's been around Kevin Durant. He's he's had a lot, Bradley Beal. He's had a lot of great players around yes. him. Yes. Has have he, they ever won? Houston, no. Exactly. When he but, was at when he was at Houston, I don't think that's necessarily his fault. A lot he, of it is team makeup. I don't, I don't think opinion. so, because the one common denominator is Russell Westbrook. When he was in Houston, there was multiple clashes between him and James Harden and then him and James Wall, or John, not John Wall, um, CP3. There were multiple clashes between them, and it created conflicts that drove CP3 out of there. 
that ultimately led to his trade to Washington. Houston didn't see him as valuable enough to commit to like that. And when you look at what he did in Washington, there were several games where Beal bailed him out because he was playing selfish ball and they were losing. Beal went on a streak, scores 35-plus, and they end up winning the game. It's going to be a continued pattern. uh... It's only going to get worse as he gets older and he gets slower and he gets more beat up because Russell Westbrook isn't a guy like somebody like LeBron or Steph that is going to play to near 40. He's he's the type of player that is going to be pretty much on the outs by the time he's like 35, which is three years from now. Because his body won't be able to take playing towards 40. So, so the thing I the thing about Russell Westbrook last year is as much as you say Beal bailed him out, I can say the same thing about Russell Westbrook bailing badly Beal out because last Bradley year Beal, after the All Star Beal was like hold 10 on, points hold on, hold away on, from the on, scoring title. Hold on, hold on, hold on. As Bradley Beal had that scoring title. And then he lost it the second half of the year because his scoring dipped. And Russell Westbrook was it his scoring dip or, or Steph had no, one of the his, greatest two month stretches in NBA history. His his scoring actually dipped. I did I his usage it. dip I too though, it. because Russ kind of took it up in the second half. The other thing I was the bubble. the other thing I was going to get to though was that as Russell Westbrook improved his play the second half of last year the Wizards started playing better and they got into the playoffs so I you can't necessarily say everything is on Russell Westbrook counter now his, his now play, in his the play playoffs, got better hold on his play got better in the second half because his usage rate went up as Mac has said Bradley Beal's usage rate goes down his points go down of course I think Steph was going to win that either that scoring title either way because Bradley Beal's primarily a score first player though so it Bradley Beal's limited to his score first mentality Russell Westbrook can do a little bit more so I, I'm I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing Bradley Beal is obviously thing, a better player between the two I'm not disagreeing with that I 100% agree with you there I'm just saying that Russ everywhere he's been he's always had a really good at least one supporting player with him he maybe hasn't been the best he's the only place he maybe was the better player was when he was playing with Paul George. And even that year, Paul George had the MVP year and Russell Westbrook didn't. And he played second fiddle to him. So I can't, I can't like negate that. Now, the thing I'll say is these teams have always underachieved. I'll say underachieved in the playoffs. Now, you can say part of that's Russell Westbrook and that's fine. I'm going to say part of it is team makeup because you know going in, he's not a shooter. You have to surround him with shooting. The only team, in my opinion, that had him surrounded with all of that shooting was Houston. Now, why did Houston fail? They tried doing this small ball thing that, to be honest with yeah, you, playing I don't PG, think... PJ Tucker at center maybe isn't yes. the best idea. Yeah, that's why Houston failed. Was that, Westbrook, is the, that is the truth. Was Westbrook and on Westbrook... the Rockets when Steph – or when, when the Warriors were playing them and they went like – on him like an 0 for 27 streak from three in the playoffs. No, no. That, that, no. Wasn't West that was that was when Chris Paul got hurt and then the Harden was playing and uh, Harden. Yeah, that, that was, was when the rock. That was when the Rockets would have won the finals if Chris Paul was healthy. Supposedly, but yeah, yeah. I mean, that was also the year that when Capella, Harden and CP3 were all healthy, the Rockets had a winning record or a pace of like it's 67 70 wins. wins. Yeah. It was like 67 wins. Yeah. That was a really good Rockets team, but 
the thing with Westbrook and this, because you mentioned it earlier when we were talking about it, you were talking about you don't see the fit. Now, I know it seems like it is a rough fit, but the Lakers addressed the fit aspect by signing a bunch of guys who have 3 and D potential. And if they aren't 3 and D guys, they're just straight shooters. Bazemore is a 3 and D-ish guy. Ariza's a 3 and D guy. Ellington's a shooter. Monk is a cre- shot creator. He can flat out score. None can flat out score. They can yeah. all shoot. Melo can myself. shoot. You, yes. You're calling the retirement home. They just signed a potential. They have 3 and D potential. Potential is a term you use for young players. By the D part, I'm saying they're all shooters, but I'm saying the potential part comes with the defense portion because Frank Vogel is obviously a defensive-minded coach. So when I say 3 and D potential, I'm referencing his ability to coach them up on the defensive side of the ball. You get what I'm saying? It's, yeah, it's but similar to coach of it's LeBron similar, is literally a shooter. It's it's Come similar on. to it's similar to Tom Thibodeau in New York with some of the guys he had on the roster last year who weren't great defensive players like Julius Randle and those guys who got way better defensively. So I give credit to the Knicks because I've always been hating on the Knicks and they actually had a really good season. Now right. if, Zach, if, if Zach Goldstein was listening to me right now, he would applaud me because he knows how much I hate on them. But I no, actually, Zach, if Zach was listening, he would he would still yell at you for saying, "Oh, why are you now switching up on the Knicks?" But <laughs> so but um, the thing he'd also the he'd also screen season. record this, but <laughs> right. The thing about the Knicks last season is they had a legitimate defensive anchor in Nerlens Noel, but the, the, the Lakers, Lakers don't do have the Lakers have well. Anthony the Lakers have Anthony Davis as their defensive anchor. And when Anthony Davis isn't in the game, I know Dwight Howard and Marc Gasol aren't, you know, their levels down from that. But Marc Gasol's primary job on this team is his defense and his ability to stretch the floor. I think it would be Dwight a Howard's primary job would be defense and rebounding. I think it would be so, a major stretch to call AD any sort of anchor when AD can't stay on the floor. And that's going to be anchor. a major problem for the Lakers because when you look at it, the eight guys that I just named at the at the top of the segment are that are all over thirty are all going to be gone within like like three years from the NBA. They're all going to be retired. Like LeBron probably has three years left in him. Mello, I don't think Melo is going to be gone in one to two years. Gasol is going to be gone around that point as well. Ariza is going to be gone. Dwight's going to be gone. Ellington, I believe, in two to three years, wanting to be able to find a team. Same with Kent Bazemore that is willing to pay more than the vet minimum, and neither of them are going to settle for the vet minimum. So I think Bazemore will. Bazemore, Bazemore will because Bays, he's like how, how thirty-two. He's thirty-two and still saying really? that he yeah, and still saying that he's betting on himself by signing with the Lakers. You're not betting on yourself to sign for the Lakers. You just want a ring. And I hate Kate, Ken Bazemore. He played horrible for us last year. He's not. He's a really non-factor for this Lakers team. I, I will say I will say the thing about the Lakers this year though is that they have on paper a 12 man rotation. So you don't have to play Bazemore or you know you don't have to play Bazemore. You you really don't if you if you consider him a non-factor. But you you look at the roster, okay? I have it slotted in as at point guard, Russ and Nunn, shooting guard, you have Monk and Horton Tucker and Ellington, okay? Small forward, you have LeBron with Ariza. Power forward is Anthony Davis with Carmelo. 
and then center you have Howard and Gasol. Now, obviously, you can adjust that a little bit if you want AD playing center because Ariza and LeBron can play the four, Horton Tucker can play the three, so on and so forth. So they have a lot of guys who can play several positions, and that versatility is going to help them. Now, I don't know. I don't know. It's a weird team dynamic because they have guys like Nunn and Monk who are nice shot creators, I would say, off their bench. Okay, but one of them is going to have to start unless they plan on starting Horton Tucker and bringing Nunn and Monk off their bench. That is the one thing I will say. But even when you look at I don't, I don't, I wouldn't do that. I would bring, I would start Monk and I would bring Taylor Horton Tucker off the bench. That's just me. I think Nunn and Monk, and I haven't really seen much of Taylor Horton Tucker, but definitely Nunn and Monk are the most unselfish players on this team. And when you look at even one of their biggest signings today, Carmelo Anthony, or was that yesterday? One. Either one. Yesterday. Yesterday, yeah. Yesterday. Uh, but he's he's another guy that hit the peak of his career, he had extremely high usage rates and had to have the ball in his hand. We, we saw it with the Knicks. We saw it with Denver. He needed the ball in his hand there. He needed to throw up a ton of inefficient shots to score. That That's his biggest knack is that he's insanely inefficient. My he, thing is he didn't do that in Portland, though. I mean, Carmelo didn't really do you, that in Portland, though. But, but he wasn't also, nearly you, as efficient as he was he in New York play or defense in Portland. Either. Also, you but go back going back to you saying none and Monk are some of the most unselfish players on the team because they're 26 years old. They know their place on this team. They know they're not going to get 20 shots a game. They know. But none and Monk run selfish in Charlotte and Miami. Yeah, like, also Malik Monk wasn't actually great in Charlotte. So yeah, yeah Malik Monk. Yeah, Malik Monk had every opportunity to be a selfish player there. I I will give him that because just like Devontae Graham, I think Malik Monk should have gotten more opportunity in Charlotte, and he kind of got pushed out of the rotation. But I do think that's the most underrated signing of these guys because we know where he was drafted when he was he was drafted, you know, like 11th when he, you know, not too long ago. He, he has a lot of potential as a scorer. But – um. Like the the Nun Monk Taylor Horn Tucker combination is the most intriguing thing to this team. It's just I don't mind the whole signing of the veterans thing because yeah they're all old and they're veterans and stuff, but that isn't an issue to me because I I know Anthony Davis has been hurt. I I totally understand that, and I know LeBron has even gotten hurt the last two years, but I don't think. I don't think LeBron is going to have a injury to where he's going to miss like a severe amount of time. And okay. <laughs> and um, even, and this is the thing with getting Russ that I mentioned earlier. If one of LeBron or Anthony Davis goes down, I think they're more, you know, I think they're better equipped having Russell Westbrook to sustain an injury from one of those guys, because you have a second star plus player on your team to battle that who can. (laughs) (laughs) I, I saved this picture. Just, I even said it on the show one time. I'm going to put this up when Trey comes on, but, but who do you really have on this team that is a plus shooter outside of like Kendrick Nunn? I, I mentioned it earlier. They have five guys on the team that have shot over 40% from three. I, yes, um, but, but Ellington was one of them. Ariza Monk and Ellington. 
Ariza and Ellington. can Melo. Melo isn't a bad shooter. Okay, Melo. Melo as that. a Melo as a spot up guy. I I wouldn't mind. I don't think he's going to be delegated to just spot up shooting. But, but when you look he's at not Mello, a bad shooter. When you look at Melo and none, Ariza, none isn't a bad shooter either. Yeah, when you look at Melo, Ariza, um, Ellington, they've all and LeBron, their three point shooting has drastically. Sorry, Marcus Lebom. Their three point shooting has gone down yeah. as they've gotten older. And when you look at Monk, his his shoot his three point shooting numbers are going to go down as volume increases if they are going to play him as a shooter. Because he didn't really get opportunities. Let me count. If I, I count if I shoot, if I yeah, one second. If I shoot two three pointers, and I make one, I'm a fifty percent three point shooter. So as you throw more more possessions, more more shots at him, it's going to go down. None is really the only good three point shooter on this team. When you consider Anthony Davis is going to be anchored, not good. He's the only plus three point shooter on this team. There isn't a single plus plus three point shooter. And when you look at teams that. They're gonna that are gonna be their biggest competition. Like Golden State, nobody on this team is guarding Steph Curry. How are they gonna keep up with the points production of Steph Curry, the the shooting of Clay Thompson, the the shooting of Andrew Wiggins, which is getting better? I wouldn't put it at a plus. But when you look at Steph and Clay, two of the greatest three point shooters of all time, they're both plus plus three point shooters. Devin Booker is a plus plus shooter. Uh, Chris Paul looked great shooting this year, so. All of those teams, and even James Wiseman can step out and take a three. They're going to have to figure out a way to match offensive production. We saw it with the Knicks. The Knicks, on paper, were just as good as the Hawks last year. On paper. But they couldn't keep up with the points production that Trey Young was spitting out. And that I think that's going to be their, their biggest issue on this team, is keeping up with points. Like, I know they can do it in the mid-range and down low. But, I but when a team... When a team's shooting I and disagree making threes, with that. that gap's going to get big. They have LeBron, James, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook. They're going to be able to keep up with teams scoring-wise. Also, my counter to what but, you But when said, you're only shooting twos and the teams are shooting threes, you're automatically at a deficit. My counter to what you said, though, was that you said they had one-plus shooter and the volume, their efficiency goes down as volume increases. You realize LeBron James is one of the greatest playmakers alive and if not okay ever you know do you know the do you know the open shots he creates for his teammates all i'm saying all i'm saying is he can create open shots but if nobody on that team can hit an open shot it's gonna be that's what i'm telling you that's what i'm telling you You said wayne ellington's three-point percentage has gone down as he's gotten older tell me what teams he's played on as he's gotten older teams where you don't have guys that can create open shots for guys like the Detroit Pistons. Tell me what guy on the Pistons I mean, is going to get Wayne Ellington fact, an open shot. It's also the fact that as you get older, you're going to get worse. The only player who I can say is an exception, obviously, other than LeBron, uh, is J.J. Redick. I would um, say even LeBron has gotten worse <laughs> as he's gotten older because early, early 2010s, game, early 2010s was peak LeBron, and I think we can all agree LeBron is gotten not – worse, but it's not yeah, he, He's not the same player that he was. Uh, yeah, it's not drastic, but – but when who do you have on that team that can keep up with three point production of Steph and Clay or CP3 and Booker or even Steph Clay Wiggins okay. if Dre Declare, shoots more and Wiseman stepping out 
There is okay, nobody on the team. Draymond be... is shooting more. Wait, 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 wait. If Draymond is shooting more, please, good grief almighty, let him shoot more. But, okay, second of all. His, his um, actual three-point production hasn't gone out. He's just stopped shooting. Dre has just started clarify, instead of shooting. To clarify, well, teams just literally don't guard him, and he doesn't shoot. Like, that's his own fault. Because he can but just dump the ball off the Steph, and Steph will find he's a way go- to score. He's, he's, he's going to miss. That's the other thing. But to clarify – the keeping up with Stephen Clay, nobody in the league is keeping up with Stephen Clay's three point shooting. So it, it's not just a Lakers thing. Now, that's fair. There's, yes, thank you. Okay. I think these guys on this team right now, shooting wise, could keep up with the Andrew Wiggins of the world from a three point shooting aspect. I don't think Wiggins is there yet from three point shooting, if you get what I'm saying. I know he's improving, mm. but I could say Malik Monk now has room to improve. I could say that Kendrick Nunn has room to improve as a shooter. I can say Taylor Horton Tucker has room to improve. I don't know how as much, a, as how much Just improving like Kendrick Nunn is going to do. All right, all right, all right. So here's the thing. Kendrick Stein. Nunn is a two- or three-year player, though. He has tons of room to grow still. He averaged 18 points a game his rookie year as an undrafted player. But most players hit their and strides he, around he year five. By the time right, he hits right, year okay, five, okay. he's going to be like 30. Here's the thing, Scott. Here's the issue. Your argument is built upon fact or the supposed fact that as people get older, they get worse shooting. It's happening. You're counter. You're countering. Over. You're countering by saying who can keep up with Steph Clay, two players who are also getting. Older. They're also the two greatest shooters of all time. And one of them is one of whom is coming of off of two major injuries, and it's which is affect his glorified JJ Redick when he comes back. Isn't, which isn't going to affect his <laughs> shooting at all because Steph yeah. and Clay. I can make that argument as they're getting older. Steph has looked better as he's gotten older because he's the greatest shooter of all time. Clay, the only player that can argue being the second greatest shooter of all time with him is Ray Allen. Like right, but maybe Kyle Corver, maybe Kyle Corver, but even Kyle Corver before Steph was was argued to be one of the greatest shooters of all time. Kyle Corver's production went completely down as he got older. It's Here's happened thing, all over the league. Right. Steph and Clay right. are anomalies to that rule. They're not. They're not. Right, we haven't seen. Part of it, we part haven't of seen Clay you, play in two years, man. That's Clay, Clay, the other thing is, Clay is a catch and shoot. Is, Clay is a catch and shoot. Okay, he doesn't need Sky, his legs to Sky, create points. Clay is. Sky, Clay had forty points on four dribbles. He's a catch Sky, and shoot player. That doesn't matter with his legs. If he would have broken other, his shooting arm, I would have been more worried. The other Sky. thing that makes Clay so valuable is, is his defense, that's and that's going to be extremely non-existent. Not, not it's going to be completely going to be at the level of, that it was at. That's why I said it won't, glorified it won't JJ Redick. It's at. It'll be I mean, a glorified JJ Redick. Exactly. Even, even if it's not the level that it's hey. at, it's going to be average Sky. defense. Hold on, Marcus. Even it'll be Joe Harris. He'll, he'll it, be Joe it'll Harris. Be, it'll be I average defense because he was an elite perimeter defender. It's going to be Joe average defense. <laughs> but here's the thing. But Clay doesn't need his legs to shoot to create offensive production because he was never the type of guy that used his legs. When he had 37 points in a quarter, he dribbled four times. When he had okay. 40 points, he dribbled four times. He like, also he gets extremely wide-open looks because Here's of the way the, the thing, offense Scott. is predicated. Exactly. So he doesn't need to dribble. Exactly. I have two, all right, I have two points I'd like to make before we head to The first one being, yes, he did not injure something that directly pertains to the shooting, but shooting efficiency directly com- com- comes from muscle memory and reps. 
He hasn't been getting those. Yes, yes he has. There, there were not videos of him. Game the other thing. Hold on. There were in games of him sitting thing. in chairs, throwing up shots while he was in a cast. Yeah, in but that's a he's been shooting. That's not the, the other same thing. But if he's getting wide, if he's getting wide open looks, it doesn't matter if it's in game or not. Like, if your argument is that he's only it, getting it wide does, open though. looks, it does though. Not if there's I, nobody I know around. From right. And, and, and Clay Thompson, Clay Thompson's also the guy that they turned off on Sports Science. They turned off the lights and had him shoot threes. Because they were testing his muscle memory, and they turned off the lights, and he shot 19 out of 23s with the lights off after shooting 20 out of 20 with the lights on. Like before, I'm not worried about his muscle injury, memory at all. But it, he didn't thing. injure his arm. Here's the I other understand. Thing. All right, the other point I had before we hit the break is even though Steph and Clay may be the best two shooters of all time, they're still only hitting a three point 45 percent of the time. So if you're going up, he's only hitting. Two, okay, go ahead. Okay, right? You're going up twice. The chances are that you hit one three. That's three points. If you're shooting sixty percent from two, you're more likely to have four points after two drives than the opponent is of having six. But that, but that's threes. also that's also relegating so, the Warriors to only being a three point shooting team okay. when Steph I'm, is one of the the best point guards we've ever seen. Steph shoots a lot creating. of threes, man. Okay. But here's the but thing. But he also drives a lot. What the Lakers could a easily do. A lot of it's do, gravity based. What the Lakers could easily do is take a page out of the, what PFF has been claiming is the way to stop the Ravens for years. Slow down <laughs> their offense. If yes. you're letting them, if you're taking the entire shot clock every time, if you're crashing the offensive boards and taking time and time and time and time off the clock, you're still only shooting 40% from three. The thing that makes Steph so strong is Steph controls the offensive pace of the game for both teams. We saw it several think, times this year. That's why he's how a do you volume think, shooter. Um, 2016 game seven and the score was 93 to 89. Why do you think that was? It wasn't because the Cavs and LeBron wanted to get in an up and down game because they weren't going to win game seven. They had to slow the pace down to their advantage to try exactly. to win that. Exactly. That was the only way to do that was stop Steph Curry. But but this team is also the way different to stop than 2016. Him. This team, I would argue, is better than example. 2016 because we I'm actually have depth. Right. Of backing up okay. All right. You guys are all bringing up really great points. I think that no matter how we continue to debate this, we are all going to still disagree. On our way out, Stephen Curry should have won the MVP, and your guys' volume is going down, so you can't rebuttal. Yeah. Bulls move. I love – okay, I'll start. I love the Bulls moves. I love well, that they why got don't we just Why don't we start by, like, what were the Bulls? Um, so they went out and got DeMar DeRozan, Lonzo Ball. They re-signed Zach Levine. Um, I believe they got a couple of depth guys. If I'm Caruso, yeah, Caruso, yeah. That was mainly the one, but yeah, yeah. I'm not. I don't really care about the Caruso because I'm focused on their starting lineup. I think their starting lineup can match up with anybody outside the top three teams in the East. I I still don't think they match up with Miami. I still don't think they match up with um, Milwaukee. I still don't think they match up with the Nets. But that that. Starting five is good, and they, they if they can figure out how to play together, which they still have all summer, they still have uh, training camp, they still have really expendable time the first two weeks of the season. That's 
kind of expendable for pretty much everybody in the league because it's it's when everybody's trying to fit together. But when you have Lonzo, Levine, Demar, Markakin, and they have Vucevic, right? Vucevic, yeah. Yeah. When you have yeah. those five, that's a really great starting five. And I thought picking up DeMar DeRozan, that was one thing that I kept saying, like, the Bulls need to go after DeMar DeRozan. He adds an entirely new part of that game because when you look at Lonzo, he's a shooter and a distributor. You look at Zach Levine, he's kind of just a guy that's going to run around and make plays. You he's look a three-level scorer to me, but yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He's, yeah he's all around. You look at Mark Akin, he can play down low, but he's also a in a pretty good three-point shooter. And you look at Vucevic, and he's kind of also he's a he's kind of like a stretch big man. He can he can step out as well. But you bring in Demar Derozan, and he's the energy guy to that team that that team's been needing. We all saw the dunk, the amazing dunk he had against the Raptors his first game back in that kind of emotion filled game where he pulled out a three sixty against his former team. He's the type of guy that could be doing that several times. A game, not like 360 shooting, but but or not like 360 dunks, but like just dunks in general. I think he adds defense to the team that was arguably not in existence outside of like Vucevic, and mm-hmm. he brings a lot to that starting five, and he puts them as a top five starting five in the East before they were Perhaps. probably six to ten. I would like to make a hot take right now. We have it on recording, and I can say, "Told you later." Kobe White, sixth man of the year. Wow. Is he even their sixth man? Yeah. I don't know if he's their sixth man, but he's going to be the ball handler, distributor, scorer. Off. He's going to be that number one guy. Off. Okay, that part was correct. Yes, okay. That part, I yes, okay. That, so that part's Sixth fine. man of the year. I'm putting my ballot right in right now, Kobe White. People, people were talking about, like, the trade for Lonzo being – uh, being lopsided towards Chicago, but when you look at the money that they freed up to sign Devontae Graham, to sign other guys, that Pelicans team also got better. So I think it really is a win-win, but Chicago definitely needed it more. So I think Chicago, like I said, top five, starting five in the East, and I think their depth is also decent. Um. Okay, so what I said about Chicago before they signed DeRozan was that they were probably a six seed on paper. They just didn't have enough star power to me to be, you know, like that top five of the East. Now that they have DeRozan, you can book it. They're going to be a top five team in the conference. That's easy. The, the only problem I have with DeRozan, and this is similar to what you presented to me about Westbrook and the Lakers, mm-hmm. It's a spacing thing. Now, the only reason I mentioned that, Levine is a three-level scorer, but he likes to slash a lot. We know his athletic ability as a dunker. DeRozan really is extended to a mid-range shooter. He's one of the best mid-range shooters in the league, but he's not going past that. He's going to be in the mid-range. Vucevic can extend out. He can space and shoot, but we really want him on the low block. Mm. Lonzo shoot in space, distribute. He he's fine. You got that down. They still have not re-signed Laurie Markin and he has a $20 million cap hold. I'm waiting for them to renounce his rights. 
because that's obviously a $20 million cap hold that they could do something with. That means if they don't bring him back, that Patrick Williams will be in their starting lineup. Now, he's not as good of a shooter as Laurie Markkinen, but he does offer more versatility in defense than Laurie Markkinen. So I'm more for Patrick Williams in the starting lineup than Markkinen. But if they bring Markkinen back, I want him starting over Williams because he offers more spacing, and then you have Vucevic. Now, the Caruso signing is really interesting to me because his defense alone is going to help that team so much. Mm. Like, imagine, imagine when you bring Caruso in the game, and you have Lonzo and Crusoe in that backcourt. Nobody, like nobody, is going to have an easy time with that backcourt when they're trying to score. They're going to harass, absolutely harass any backcourt when they have Lonzo and Crusoe out there. And they can do small ball four with DeRozan. That's honestly what I would like. If they, if they went Lonzo, Caruso, Levine at the three, which he's not good at the three. That's the only problem I have. And then DeRozan at the four with Vucevic at the five, that offers the most versatility for any lineup. So, I mean, (laughs) that's what you're looking. But that's one thing that outside of their starting five cements them as a top five team in the East for me because, like, I know I was discussing over their starting five, but you can also break down that starting five and plug in other players. Unlike, Mm -hmm. I would say, like, unlike Brooklyn, where your starting five is what you're going to get for next year after losing a couple of good players. And uh, yeah, I, like Miami is the same way where Miami has had that last year and had that during their finals run. I'm not quite sure Miami is going to completely be like that after letting some key guys go um, yeah. in free agency. So I think it sets up Chicago to be, I'd say right now, the fourth best team in the West to me. Like I said, the Nets are still better. The Bucks are still better. Although P- them losing PJ Tucker is underratedly a bad move for Milwaukee, but Miami is still they can replace they can they can replace it though. But PJ also looked in- insanely good in that finals. He did. He was he playing did. much above his value, and, and I will say his value comes on a side of the ball where it can be replaced. Yeah, uh, that that's true. So. I guess it just depends. I mean, I'm surprised the Bucks didn't bring him back, but the Bucks chose. It looks like the Bucks chose Bobby Portis instead of PJ Tucker. Mm-hmm. So I'm right not. Move. I'm not totally against that because Bobby Portis is so much younger than him, and he offers a different side of. He offers a different aspect to their big man game in comparison to Brook Lopez. Mm-hmm. So I'm not completely against that, but. Yeah, the P.J. Tucker move is huge for Miami. Had they not gotten P.J. Tucker, I'd be concerned because they don't have a guy to play the four, but that filled a hole for them. And I think I think when you look at Milwaukee losing Tucker, it doesn't affect them much in, in the regular season. They're still going to be exactly a top three yeah. seed, but I think come playoff time, because P.J. Tucker... It'll be the postseason. Yep. Yeah, P.J. Tucker in, play, in the playoffs always elevates his game to a level that in the regular season he never touches. And he offers spacing for Giannis when you mm-hmm. put Giannis at the five and you can play P.J. Tucker at the four. It's a That's lot, the biggest thing. He's a lot like thing. Iguodala, where Iguodala is not going to give you much value during the regular season, but come playoff time, Andre Iguodala is going to be one of the best players on the court. Oh, yeah, he's the best shooter under pressure. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> Martians, Martians and beams and lasers and Andre stuff. Andre Iguodala. <laughs> Now, I have a proposition for you, Sky. Mm-hmm. 
I think this would be a really fun playoff series, what I'm about to say. And I don't know who would win it, but I think it would go seven games. Would you take Miami or Chicago in a four or five matchup in the playoffs? Miami. Let's say let's say the Sixers miraculously get the three seed next year. Or Boston. Because if Boston's healthy, they they could be up there. Um let's let's say we get a Miami Chicago first round matchup. Who are you taking? Um undoubtedly Miami. Now I would why? take Jimmy Butler over any player on that team. I would take Kyle Lowry over Lonzo in the playoffs because he has experience. I would at the two it's gonna be Duncan or Levine. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I would take that's, Levine. That's, that's easily that's Levine. Levine. That's easily Levine. At the four, PJ Tucker versus either Williams or Mark Kinn, I'd take PJ Tucker in the playoffs. I would probably I would just say push, but that is PJ Tucker. Yeah. In the playoffs, that's PJ Tucker. But it's a push. Yeah. But yeah. And, and then down Vucevic, center, you gotta take Bam. Bam. You gotta take Bam. It's Bam. Like Vucevic but, showed flashes of being really good in my, in yeah. um, Orlando, but he's not to the level that Bam has been in the past. Wait, 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 wait. Now, you what I will say is Orlando basketball. No, yeah, but wait, I mean, I've you, heard of it. That was on TV. Wait, <laughs> I've, I've read that the stat lines. On, that was even on TV. That was even on TV. I read the stat lines. <laughs> what I will say though is it's close enough to every position, in my opinion, for Chicago to get that to a seven-game series. Lonzo isn't on Kyle Lowry's level, but he does the right things to neutralize Kyle Lowry. And they would, in that series, I think, play Caruso a lot and maybe even start him to where you have Lonzo Caruso. Because they would have they would start Caruso and just have him chase Duncan Robinson around. Start Caruso over Zach Levine? No, start Caruso over Markin and or Williams and move DeRozan to the four, Levine to the three. And then you have Crusoe harass Duncan Robinson. You see what I'm you saying? Could so, but, but Levine at the three is going to ball on Jimmy Butler, though. No, Jimmy Butler is going to beat him every time. Jimmy Butler's too Jimmy Butler's long gonna, and fast. Jimmy Jimmy Butler will post him up and just Lonzo's not quite big enough for that, in my opinion. But if you're but talking you about on the Levine perimeter, at the yes. three, you play Levine at the three, and that's that's a cause for concern for Chicago, though. Because that takes away a lot of what his offense is predicated on because he's going to be a wing-type player and he's going to have to at least split some of it where he's, instead of running into the lane, he's standing in the lane. Not in the lane, but like right outside of the lane on the wings. All of it, reminder that Billy Donovan is their coach. So all of this predicates on his ability to draw and design plays and get these guys in spots for them to score. So that's what Chicago's ceiling is going to be predicated on. Can he put these guys in the positions to succeed? Remember what Billy Donovan did with CP3 and SGA? I think he can legitimately do that with Ball. Also remember what he did when they were up 3-1 against Golden State and then they lost. Yeah, yeah, the problem with Billy Donovan is I don't think Billy Donovan can put them and a place to succeed when he could That's exactly put, my concern with him as well. Yeah, he couldn't put James Harden, Russell Westbrook, and Kevin Durant, Stephen Adams, that that great team, Kendrick Perkins. And his canter. Yeah, and a place to succeed because Cantor looked better almost everywhere he went after OK or after Billy Donovan. Yes. Now, the other thing I'll say is I really wanted after seeing the moves the Bulls made this offseason, I really wish that they 
signed Rick Carlisle as their head coach. I really do because that that would have that would have easily made them a four seed for me mm-hmm. because he would have been a perfect coach for this team. But instead, Rick Carlisle is with the Pacers, and that is a perfect spot for him and that team because Rick Carlisle is one of the most underrated head coaches in the entire NBA. But besides the point, it's fine. I'm just I don't know. The Bulls have had so much. I've, it feels like forever seeing the Bulls have some type of success and free agent buzz. And, you know, I saw a meme today. It was like, wait, the Bulls are good again? And it was like, what did we get? Or like, what do we sacrifice? And it was like, oh, we sacrificed the Chicago Cubs for the Chicago Bulls. It's like, that's Chicago sports. You get, you get one, then you don't, you know, you're going to get one by sacrificing the other. And I mean, there's the Chicago White Sox, but nobody cares about them. So I guess, but the Bulls, they're going to be an interesting team. I, Mm -hmm. I don't know what their ceiling is, depending on what matchup they draw in the first round, they could be a first round exit team, but they're probably looking at a second round exit just because Brooklyn's really tough for them. Milwaukee's really tough for them. I think if all goes right for them in a series with Miami, they could beat them, but that's the best they could do. The two teams they aren't getting past are Milwaukee and Brooklyn for me, though, because they don't have anybody to. They don't have anybody to guard Giannis. They they don't. Yeah. Not at all. Not at all. And I think you know I think that's the Bulls. Um, I kind of had a little surprise thing I want to throw it at the end here. I think we've got some time uh, before our interview. We'll yeah, we have plenty of time. All right, so one big thing that happened recently in sports. In the NHL, they had an expansion. And that was the buzz of the media. Because, uh, well, of the media there. Because of how the team, the Seattle team, decided to go about the expansion draft. They drafted a bunch of young guys. Here's the thought. Both of you right now, just hired as the NFL general manager, a newest expansion team have the first overall pick coming into 2022. How are you building this team? for? I had the first overall pick. You have the first overall pick of the 2022 draft. That's part of the expansion team. Patrick Mahomes. And I think any other answer in the, is unequivocally in the, 20, in the 2022 draft. Oh, I thought you meant. I thought you said like if <laughs> kind of like posted. Yeah, yeah, the Chiefs. Anyone, you can't no, take anyone. The Chiefs no. wouldn't even allow you to draft him. They would protect him. No, this isn't even bad. What are you talking I about? <laughs> I thought you were posing as like a fantasy draft type of thing. No, 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 not as a fantasy draft. We're talking. So the way that they did it with the Houston Texans back in two thousand oh, is free agency hits. No one is signing signing anything. You have about like 19 players in your roster. Have to leave five players on each team unprotected. Okay, if someone that makes sense. Yeah. The Texans take the Texans take a player. You can choose to protect another player. Mm. Okay, but how, do, how are we? Like, what what team am I? Because if I'm the Jets, it's going to vary. You you are the new NFL GM of this new team. How the are new you going NFL GM. Oh, of a new team. Okay. This is you've got the new yes. team. You have the first overall pick in 2022. Now this could be Kayvon Thibodeau, generational edge tech, or it could be a quarterback. Or, and it all depends on what you do in this expansion draft. And how are you going to go about this? In an expansion draft, you have to think in the NFL, 
that most good quarterbacks, like pretty much every single quarterback, maybe outside of San Francisco, just because Jimmy G has the giant contract and that you're going to have to pick up. And they have so many good defensive players that they're going to want to try to keep. Uh, Basically every other team is going to be protected with their quarterback and their receivers. Theoretically. So, so for that's me, a fair, that's a fair assumption. Yeah. yeah it's for fair. me, the but most slept on position that they're not going to any, any running back worth taking as a first pick in an expansion draft is going to be protected as well. I'm talking about Saquon, um, Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin, Derek Henry, Kamara, Derek Henry, like Zeke will probably now. Zeke would be protected. I think Zeke would be protected. If Zeke's on a normal team, he's being protected. But the Cowboys have like no defensive players to protect. I I would go for an underlooked position where offensive linemen are also probably going to be protected because there's so few actually good offensive linemen. I'd go for like a cornerback. There's a surplus in cornerbacks, or a receiver, there's a, a surplus and good receivers in the league. So I would go for one of those because those are the positions that are dripping with the most talent. So you're going to have the most unprotected talent. All right. So here's, here's what let's start here. The unprotected quarterbacks that you probably pick from Gardner Minshew, mm-hmm. right? Nick Foles, possibly Andy Dalton. You know, there's our idiots. Um, <laughs> you know, would Deshaun Watson be unprotected if no. he's not traded? No, because they're going to want to get something in return for him. I Possibly. agree. So let's say he's indicted and he's not traded. They don't think they can get value. They put him there. No, because Davis if he's indicted, goes he's going to be. Tyron ends up there. You know, if he's indicted, to he's going to be like, he's either, he's probably never going to play. And if he's indicted for this, like, there's no chance any team ever picks him back up if he's indicted for this because there's 22 cases of. Well, it's 22 in like civil court, but th- there's 10 plus in criminal. There's court. 10 plus in criminal. That's right. what he like 10 charges. He's going to federal prison like that. That's just the, exactly. So he's never going to play again. And none of the quarterbacks you just listed are worth taking with the top. In my opinion, Right. Possibly pre-injury Jimmy G, but after all the injuries, no. So I, I would still stick with with a cornerback and a receiver, especially when you look at the class coming up, where if you're drafting out of an expansion draft, if you take the younger guys, you're going to be the worst team in the draft or in the league, like like most expansion teams are their first few seasons. Vegas Golden Knights are very rare. Um, yeah. Oh, they're they're a, we, they're an anomaly. Right. Yeah. If we go back and look at the Texans and what the Texans did, they went and they their expansion draft. They selected all their players, then they went and spent their first overall pick on quarterback David Carr with no protection, and they made a very big mistake. Yeah. So would you go the route of surrounding yourself with talent? Using that first selection of a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau, who you know is going to be a productive edge, and starting a guy like Tyrod Taylor at quarterback, so you get another first overall pick 
And you have yeah. all the picks in that draft and the next draft to build up a legitimate team around whatever quarterback is available. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Like, looking at the class yeah. coming up, when you have Spencer Rattler and, and Sam Howell, you're going to have a quarterback to choose from. Right. So that's what you're going for? Yeah, I'm not I'm not taking quarterback. I'm taking okay. positionary, like high value positions that are still gonna be high value after protection. Like I would say you try to get you try to get skill positions, you try to build your defense, you try to build your offensive line. You try to do those things, obviously, mm-hmm. but obviously those are gonna be protected positions, like Sky said. So it's I think Sky hit it pretty well for the most part. Mm-hmm. But I mean, my think, main thing would be yeah. trying to accumulate as much actual talent, like the right. best talent that you can, because you don't want to come out and be like, I don't know, the seven and uh, the, like the seven win Charlotte Bobcats from 2013 or whatever. Like you don't want to be that bad. But, like but that, being, that's, so, that's bad. Being a new expansion team, being a seven win team isn't bad. When you oh, look at sure. the, well, the potential in the, NFL, in the draft, yeah. in yeah. the NFL, well, no. no, I'm even like that, I was that giving an like NBA reference team, but it wouldn't be that bad to be a one-win team your first year because then you get the number one overall pick. It's correct. It's, you, there's no downside like there would be in the NBA where you still have the lottery. Like yeah, you have the favorable odds, but especially in the most recent years, we've seen the favorable odds change, like go against the the team with the worst record. So right. I'm just saying, I think the goal would be to at least put out a competitive football team rather than look like you're deliberately tanking every week. If you get what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. Now here's the interesting theme when it comes to this expansion, the new Orleans saints are in cap. Hell. The new Orleans saints could be a team that disappoints without a generational QB new Orleans saints have several people making whoa, over whoa, whoa. $10 million. Jameis Winston isn't a generational QB? Okay, this man eats his hands <laughs> to motivate his team. I'll be He's honest. <laughs> Jameis is not going to be that bad after sitting behind Drew Brees. Hopefully. Now, because... if, he's, if he's not, you've got this situation where you're paying 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 people over nearly or over $10 million. Yeah. And if you're going into an expansion draft, you're going to have to leave some of those guys unprotected. We're looking at Michael Thomas, Cameron Jordan, Ryan Ramchuk, Andres Pete, Alvin Kamara, Taron Armstead, David Armada, Malcolm Jenkins, Demario Davis, Marcus Davenport, and Taysom Hill, all potentially going unprotected. And Taysom you, is fine. I would pass on him. He's old. You know, you pass so nobody on talks Taysom. about Taysom is old. Taysom's like, what, 34, 33? Exactly. Like, Taysom Hill is about 32 years old. He's yeah. very, very old. Right. So this Saints team, let's say the five people that are unprotected, Alvin Kamara, Aaron Armstead, Ryan Ramchick, Cameron Jordan, and Michael Thomas, all in an effort to save money. Of no, those people. All five of those who, would be protected. Well, yes. But if they're trying to you know, save money and go a younger route, if those guys were available because they wanted to, cost mm-hmm. and they know you would take on a 20 million dollar contract who are you taking in the defensive end the generational receiver taking the running back or we're taking the left or right tackle that are both 
I would take an offensive lineman there because you look at Alvin Kamara, he's a running back. He's going, even though I think he's one of the best in the league, his production is going to slow. I'm not taking Michael Thomas because I can't stand Michael Thomas. I think the way he plays creates for the faulty records. He can't stay healthy as of recent. And he's going without a great quarterback, without the pinpoint short accuracy of Drew Brees. He's going, his value is going to go down. Like I like Jameis Winston, who won't even look short. And uh, so I think that brings up an interesting dynamic where I would have to choose between an offensive lineman and their defensive players. And that would be a choice that would kind of come up to like how many at each position is going to be unprotected. I would have to see teams decisions for that, but it would probably be offensive line because I feel like that's going to be the area out of the two that is the most protected. I think that the way to go is you select their left tackle, Karen Armstead, right? And then they get to choose to protect someone else. You've taken one of their tackles that are going to protect Ryan Ramchuk, their other tackle. I've got an interesting proposition for you on this topic, Magus. Yeah, what's up? You're Brett Veach. You Mm -hmm. look, you have to, you get five players to protect. Mm-hmm. You've got no, 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 f- no. You leave five players unprotected. Unprotected. Okay, yep. we'll take this. Even though I got it wrong, take this for example. You protect five players, right? Mm-hmm. You've got Patrick Mahomes, Frank Clark, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, Tyran Matthew, Chris Jones, um, Juan Thornhill is a young guy that's butting out. You've got all these players out of those like seven guys. Who are you leaving out? So in the theory that I'm the Kansas City Chiefs general manager, mm. and let's say I'm protecting five players and they can only select one person, right? Yeah. I'm going to protect Patrick Mahomes. I'm going to protect Tyreek and Travis Jones. Then yeah. I'm going to protect Chris Jones. And, hmm. you know, I don't know who I'd protect the last pick. Because I can, you can afford to lose a safety. But Tyron Matthew a, is a guy that can play almost any defensive position. He can, yeah. but he's also getting up there in age. Yeah, and he's true. making. Did you did you say make. did you say Clyde Edwards Hilaire? No, I didn't. I've not he's said that because I wouldn't protect him. Yeah, I wouldn't either. He's a running back, and he's replaceable with the upcoming draft. Okay, so. I didn't know how you guys felt about him, so that's why I brought him up. So. Um, Honestly, right, continue. If I'm an expansion guy, I'm not. I'm not getting any high value quarterback until three years from now, when Quinn Ewers leaves Ohio State. I'm DJ Uwe. Hey, wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa! What about DJ Uwe, Uwe, bro? Uh, come Quinn on. Ewers. Quinn Ewers is already the greatest quarterback to ever step on a football field. I I know, but DJ <laughs> Uwe, Uwe is gonna be really good. I I truly believe that, man. I think he's gonna be really good. I think he'll be good, but and he, he's gonna be the 2023 class. I think I think he's the class after this one because mm-hmm. he'll be a junior. Yeah. So he's eligible. I don't know if he'll leave, but. I th- I think he, I think he's gonna be better than Rattler yeah. and Howell. I I truly, do you think he's gonna be I better than Quinn Ewers though? Because no. Quinn Ewers is a great no. conversation for us to have no. next week. Yeah, because okay. we're we're getting we're running out of time. time. And um, the other thing is, we can get both Trey 
and Izzy in here who are both Ohio State fans. Yeah. That would be really interesting. Oh, yeah, that Ohio State QB battle, man. So, I don't spoiler alert for so next week, we're going to be talking Quinn Ewers with Trey and Izzy. Um, and I think that'll probably be the end of us for today. We're going to head to the interviews, guy. Yeah, and then um, because our Zoom's running low, I'm not sure if Macus will be back because I can just play the interview and do the outro, but um, we can talk about that on the break. Thanks, Trey, for coming on. Thanks so it was really great to have you on. We, I hope Real you're... quick, before I leave, I would like to mention that the Sacramento Kings have interest in Pascal Siakam. I don't know what this means for them, but I just want to throw that out hmm. there. Since we can talk about NBA that next week. Time. If it, we can if talk about that next happens. week, though. Yes. Um, last protected player is Butker. Oh, 100%. <laughs> That's actually not Dude, that okay. That's not that far That's, out there. But that, that, yeah, there aren't many kickers better than him. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. But yeah. We, we really got to head uh, to end the Zoom. Like I said, thank you, Trey, for coming on. That works. I hope Thanks for having me, guys. I hope you're somebody that we bring on recurringly because it was really nice talking to you on here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's going to do it for now. We're going to go to the uh, Smoke Harris interview. We hope you enjoy. It was a lot of fun talking to him. And we will see you guys after that. Today we have Devon Harris with us. Devon Smoke Harris. Uh, he's the, the slot receiver and punt returner for uh, the LA Tech Bulldogs. Uh, we're very excited to have you on. Great to be on. Yeah. Um, I think our first question is where does the smoke smoke nickname come from? Um, I got it when I was like eight, seven, eight. I was playing little league and coaches would say I'll leave people in smoke. I could leave a puff of smoke when I leave or whatever. And I had the nickname since and it carried over from little league to middle school, from middle school to high school, from high school to college. Oh, that's awesome. Did you play multiple sports growing up? Was it just baseball and football or were there more? No, I played football. I ran track, played basketball. Yeah. And how do you think those sports, you know, influenced how you play the game of football now? I mean, they're all like a competitive aspect. Like you learn different things from different sports. So like basketball teaches you about like conditioning and stuff really. It's more conditioning than football. And track was the same way. And then I guess, like, the competitiveness is what, like, correlates over football. All right. That makes sense. Um, so you've grown up in Louisiana your whole your whole life, right? Yeah. All right. Are you a Saints fan? Nah, I'm not a Saints fan. But I really, I'm really not. I don't really have a team or whatever. I just have players. So. Oh, okay. Is there a player? you compare yourself to or that you watch when you're preparing or, or like practicing or trying to improve your game? Um, really, for me, it's more Calvary route running wise and just him and Amari Cooper, really. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, those are they're great route runners. Um, and uh, So that's just who you watch. Do, is there anyone you just watch for fun because they're fun to watch? Tyreek Hill. Tyreek, yeah. Tyreek's a fun guy. Um, so I was looking, I was doing some research about LA Tech and about kind of the offense you're in. Uh, and I noticed that you have an inside receiver coach and an outside receiver coach. 
how does that work? Do they like split you guys up or do they do drills all together? Nah, we split. So we go one group outside receiver, one group inside. So inside receivers, we have the both two insides and we have tight ends and fullbacks. And outside receivers, they just have outside receivers. So we all do different drills. And do you think that, you know, focusing more on the inside receiver technique as opposed to the outside receiver technique, do you think that that helps you to develop your game more so than just having a receiver's coach? Yeah, I mean, if you have just – if we would have just had an outside receiver coach, we wouldn't have as much knowledge because it wouldn't be enough – enough, I would say, it wouldn't be enough time to go through every – like, because there are four positions, so it's four. So I think it's great that we split them up because you learn more being split than you would if we were all in one group having like 20, 30 people in one room instead of having like 10, 15 each room, I feel like it's better for the coaches and players. Like, Because we can ask questions then because when you have four, like you'll be stuck on one play. We went through one play for like 30 minutes. Um, is there like an NFL team that like when the draft rolls around, if you got drafted by them, you know you'd fit exactly into their scheme? Um. I mean, I would say probably the Saints, I would say. Them or Tampa. You, you're a punt returner, mostly. Like, that's – I'm looking at all these lists of, you know, Conference USA teams, and they have you listed as, you know, the first-team punt returner or projected first-team punt returner coming into this season. How do you think that punt returner ability, how do you carry that to, to the field as a wide receiver? I mean – Power turn is just like an offensive play, I would say, in a sense, because it's just like you're catching a pass. I would say you're catching a pass. That's how I look at punt return, as you're catching a pass and you're trying to score. Like, there's no difference in special team plays and offensive plays to me. I feel like they're all the same, in a sense. And you, you kind of show that, like, how dynamic you are after the catch. Do you think that's more so due to your elusiveness or your vision? Uh, what do you think is the, the building block that, that you build all your, your – uh, not elusiveness, um, playmaking off of? I would say elusiveness and quickness, I guess, I would say, because, you know. Um, so you were an all-purpose back coming into college. Uh, and yeah. you did you re- you played running back in high school, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, have there been any talks about maybe putting you in the backfield, running some some tailback? I played running back in a couple games. I know I played. I got back there for a couple carries against North Texas and te- uh, TCU. And last year, year before last, I played running back some in the UAB game. So it's just different. Like different games, we had different play calls. I'll force me to the backfield. That'll put me in the backfield. Um, so what 2021 game are you looking forward to the most? The first game of the season. First game of the season? That's first game of the season. Very fair. Um, and according to, to a lot of the reports that we've seen, uh, LA Tech has a quarterback battle going on. What do you think each of the quarterbacks brings, like, differently to the table? Um... I wouldn't say – I would say they're all really the same. They really can do – they all can do the same thing. Like, every like every quarterback here can do the same thing. Throw the ball, run the ball. But the thing that separates them from, like, each other or, like, I would say the experience that each one has. So, like, 
far as so the younger quarterbacks are like behind more like but like skill wise they're all the same. But I would say football IQ wise by the experience would separate all of them from each other. That makes sense. So in your 2020 season, um, you did a, a really good job, 300 yards. That's impressive. And then there's uh, close to 600 with punt return yards uh, and then rushing yards. Uh, is there a defensive back that you're excited to have a rematch against this season? Um, to be honest, I really nah, – I don't really have no DB rematches against. Because, I mean, I look forward to playing everybody. I mean – I don't have no specific battles. Like when that day come, like that that DB got to deal with me for the whole day, for the whole four quarters. Like I don't care who it is, where they from, how they. I don't care about none of that. Uh, so every time the draft rolls around, they talk about how you know football players are kind of limited by their size. Have you felt like you've been limited by your size in any way playing football? I feel like I mean, yeah, people judge me because I'm short, but I mean. Just being short don't mean you can't do the things others can do. Like being short, you just have to do more than others can do because you're you're being looked at because your size, your measurements don't add up to what they're looking for. But if you can play, you can play. Like that shouldn't even matter. Like, yeah, that's completely understandable. And you know, kind of a saying that goes along with football is "low man always wins." So, do you think that's an advantage when blocking and stuff? Yeah, yeah, actually. Now that, now that we're talking, I actually look forward to blocking more. I want to block more, and I want to improve my uh, blocking score. I mean, I feel like that that's a part of my game that I want to add. Like, to I want to be able to do the whole – I want to be a complete package, not just an elusive bag of receiver. I can do all this. I can block, et cetera. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so you've been through spring practice now. Um, what are your expectations and goals for this season? Um, I actually am striving for a thousand yards receiving, five hundred, close to five hundred yards, five hundred plus punt return yards, four or five punt return touchdowns. I want to finish like twelve receiving touchdowns. Like my goal is really high, and I actually, I actually feel like I'm at my best right now, like going into the season. Like, this is the best I've felt like in a long time. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. You have something, Scott? Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Mine said to have. Yeah, no, that's... I feel like you can take that and you improve, like, the team as a whole with just you being able to step up. Yeah. Yeah. So I so actually I'm in like I'm going to this leadership thing to like better myself for my team. So I feel like if I can lead a team better, I feel like more people will listen to me. Then you feel me? like so I feel like me trying to become a leader, more of a leader on the team, is gonna be a big like a big step forward for the organization. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that would awesome. be that would be awesome. Um, and, you know, so there's some stereotypes about wide receivers that all the time, but, you know, Chad Ochocinco, he's a guy who talks a lot. Are you kind of that style receiver? Do you go up to the line and talk? Are you more of a quiet, do your job, get it done? Mm, I mean, 
I can it can get chippy. I'll say that. I would say it could get real cheap fast. Like I mean I I'm really quiet until you push me to that level and then like it's it's over. What kind of mindset do you feel like you attack the field? Um, I just, I don't know, man. I just, like, I got a savage mindset. Like, I don't even care. Like, I don't care about who in front of me. Like, I don't care about nothing. Like, I respect you, but you got to fear me. Yeah, that's great. Um, And what are your expectations for LA Tech as a whole this season? Um, I think, um, we, I'm going to say this, we will know a lot about our team come the first week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll just say that. Yeah. Well, it should be exciting to see you guys out there. Who are you playing week one again? Hmm? Who are you guys playing week one again? Uh, Mississippi State. Mississippi State. Yeah, that should be a great game. Uh, yeah. You guys match up really well there. Uh, like, that's going to be must-watch TV. Uh, any thoughts there, Sky? What? Any thoughts there, Sky? Uh, Mississippi State's a great team. Yeah. But I think, I think especially you line up well against their DBs from the film that I've watched, so that'll be most likely a really good game for you. Mm-hmm. I look forward to it. All right. Well, we are, we appreciate having you on. Uh, is there anything you'd like to promote or, or say here at the end? Nah, appreciate y'all. Yeah, of course. All right. So that was Smoke Harris um, from LA Tech. Uh, it's great to great to have you on. We hope to have you on again sometime. Yeah, thanks. Right. Appreciate it. Yeah. Have a great day. And that's the end of our interview with Smoke Harris. We thank him for allowing us to interview him. It was a pleasure talking to him. I also want to thank Trayvon Hastings from Phenom Media and uh, Matt Lesnick from Phenom Media for both coming on. They were amazing guests, and this was truly one of our best shows yet, and it reflected in listenership. It reflected in our conversation in every way. It was it was one of the best shows that we've ever had, so we, I really want to thank them, and I hope they come on more. Um, exciting news, we get Izzy back next week. So our part-time co-host will be back to join us. Um, yeah, thank you to everybody who listened. And that's going to be the end of this week. Remember to tune in next week or listen to the podcast if you can't catch the live show. We will have, of course, more amazing um, conversation, especially if we can get those two back with Izzy to join Marcus and I. It would be, It would be a really fantastic show. So we hope to see you guys next week. We already teased a little bit Quinn Ewers, um, and I'm sure there's going to be much, much more to talk about. And always remember that Steph Curry was the rightful 2021 Kia MVP of the league. Should we play Izzy's favorite song? We are going to play Izzy's favorite song during this break. Uh, It's going to be actually first up. That's a good idea, Macus. First up, here is Pussy Monster by Lil (laughs) Wang. (laughs) 